It's the Craggy Midweek Podcast. Prior to the Bordeaux match, European rugby back on the agenda for the next two weekends. Connacht playing Bordeaux at home here on Saturday with a 3pm kickoff, and the other two teams in the group, Sale and Perpignan, playing in France on Friday night. Lindley McKenzie joins me. Hello, Lindley. Afternoon. We've just been to the press conference here and Pete Wilkins, defence coach, and Jack Carty, who's going very well at number 10 for Connacht, were up today. So let's hear what they had to tell us. Was that a performance that you'll have been taking that a little bit apart on video and picking, picking a few holes on it? Look, I think the nature of this coaching group and, and this playing group is um, we're always looking to improve. So, um, you know, regardless of the result and regardless of the history behind it, which, which we were very proud of, um, there's certainly things to work on out of that game. Um, you know, very, very proud of the defensive effort um, and, and certainly to, to get the result. You know, we didn't play perfectly and um, there's certainly things we can do better across the game. But, um, no, we, we had a good review yesterday on Monday morning and... Um, Work through the work through the clips, and, and today was more of a defence focus. So, you know, everything we've learnt from from that Ulster game is, you know, to be put to use against Bordeaux this week. It's all about the next game and, and taking those lessons and, and hopefully applying them to get another good result. Would one of those be the penalties again? It seemed to get you got on the wrong side of the referee, and it just starts climbing, and it, it that gives a little bit of hope to a side like Ulster who were really hanging on there. Yeah, look, uh, you know, obviously discipline is something you always analyse post-game and, and we want to be uh, conceding as few penalties as possible. I mean, the Ulster game, um, the ledger broke more or less even actually by the end of 80 minutes. I think probably what made it feel more against us was that we'd, we'd had such a good um, first half and then probably conceded a few too many, too many penalties second half, which which obviously gave Ulster a bit of momentum and... Um, you know, certainly after their red card, probably the, the ledger swung in their favour and, uh, you know, hostile stadium and, uh, you know, then, you know, that just sort of breeds more belief in them. So, um, look, we'll always analyse our penalties out of a game and, and whether it's ones that we agree with or disagree with, you know, we have to take the learnings from that and if it's reacting to the referee's interpretation a bit better or, or just tidying up some loose ends with our own discipline, then, you know, it's an important thing for any team and, um, you know, no teams do well in a competition without... Um, Without being pretty, pretty, pretty good across the, the discipline ledger, I think you know best team in the comp at the moment conceding about seven a game. So um, you know we can improve in that area, but it's, it's certainly not panic stations in terms of um, in terms of our overall approach to games. The scrum went exceptionally well. It it really was the the foundation. I think the Ulster started to to really struggle uh, mentally as much as anything else because of the, of the power that was coming through there. Did you did, was that seen before the game as an area where you were targeting? Uh, I think Jimmy Duffy and, and his forward pack they're immensely proud of their you know their, all their forward play, but but including their scrummaging and they go into every game with a belief that they can cause other teams problems both both in attack and defence at, at the set piece. Um, on the weekend, it, it was enormous, I think, in terms of the impact on the game. Um, you know, and that's partly because you know, Ulster, a club that, that you know, certainly at home, would pride themselves on their set piece work and look to use that as a foundation to um, to launch their attack. Um, but also, you know, Ulster coming off their previous result, uh, you know, a lot of their mindset and, and sort of talk in the media have been about the importance of the first 20 minutes for them, and they were desperate to start well and start well. Um, you know, obviously at home, and, and the momentum we got out of our set piece and, and the reward we got there. Um, played a huge part in, I suppose, in terms of denting their access to the game and uh, giving us a bit of a foothold. And you know, we got to that 20-minute mark and, and felt like we were in a pretty good spot. And um, now Jimmy and his forwards did a terrific job through that, and it, it was a massive part of the result we got at the end of it. And some performance from uh, Sean O'Brien. 
Sean's magnificent. He, he's the sort of player you love to coach. Um, he, he's so willing. He, he's abrasive. He's physical. Um, he, he works his, um, you know, he, he works his backside off for you. And um, you know, he's um, he wants to hit hard in defence, but equally, he's a strong ball carrier and will look to play out the tackle. You know, good detail around his set piece. So. You know, I think he's got a really well balanced game, and, and now that um, you know he's fit and healthy and able to string a few games to, together, he, he gets better with every game that he plays. French side, Europe Saturday, a bit of a different feel to it. Uh, you're never quite sure what side they're going to bring, but I'm sure you've analysed them, you've had a look at them. So, what do you, what do they bring that's different, or what are you highlighting? Um, look, Bordeaux, I think, are actually a really nicely balanced side. Like, they've got all the, the typical French characteristics and that they want to play the game with pace and some very big, powerful uh, runners in, in the forwards and the backs. And, you know, if they can win collisions and offload out of the tackle, then, you know, they look to generate momentum and, and a huge amount of belief uh, out of that. And, you know, that said, they've got, um, got three English guys on their coaching staff, so they've got an element of, sort of the English pragmatism around their, their game management, international quality nine, um, you know, Brock James at 10, whether he comes off the bench or starts them, I think it's one of the best game managers going around. So I think they've got a really nice balance between that that sort of powerful attacking flair that you, you see a lot of the time out of French sides, but um, also the ability to, to play the game in the right areas of the field. So for us defensively, you know, we'll need to be on our game in, in all respects. We'll have to front up physically and certainly can't let them get momentum out of those, um, out of those collisions. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're a tempo team and, and we pride ourselves on our tempo in attack and defence and, and we'll need to keep that high in order to make sure that, that we're taking, taking Bordeaux out of their comfort zone as well. Now, you'll probably have to make a few changes. There's a few injuries floating around uh, Tierno Halloran, Marmion. I mean, they, they, to be fair, losing them so early in the game, Connacht did reset well. I think we did reset well. You know, um, I mean, Marmo would, uh, you know, wouldn't lie down easily. So for him to come off in the first minute, he was obviously in a fair bit of um, difficulty with that ankle. Um, and then Tiernan as well tried to run off his injury from from scoring that try and wasn't able to. And um, um, you know, we did have to reset and readjust. And, and credit to the boys, I thought, in terms of their response, both in terms of of the team shape, but also the individuals that came on and replaced those two guys um, did a terrific job. And you know, we lost Tom Farrell. You know, before half time as well with with the HIA, so you know he's been incredibly important for us as well. But um, you know, I thought we we didn't miss a step there. We adapted really well. Um, the positive thing around all those injuries is, you know, they were um, despite the difficulty they're in on the evening. You know, it's uh, much more sort of positive prognosis since then. So, you know, we'll hope to get them back in. Um, you know, obviously rehabbing and, and back in action as soon as possible. So, with that in mind. You'll have to make a few changes for Saturday, but are you, are you confident that the players that you can bring in, is anybody maybe from the Eagles? I was at the Eagles game here on Saturday. It's, it's important that they're all ready to go. It is. That, that, that Eagles program, the A-team program, has, has been a massive bonus for us because um, it means we're getting to this point of the season and, and you know, the next 23 to, to 30 guys are, um, have been having regular rugby. They're match-hardened. And we've also, as a coaching group, able to have a look at them and, and see who deserves recognition, who's actually earned the chance to step up and, and, and represent the, the pro team as well. So um, that's been really useful in terms of the timing of the competition. Um, look, I think six games into the season, especially after two big interpros, there's going to be a natural rotation anyway. So you know, although the injuries will, will affect decision-making, it probably is a good time anyway to get in a couple of fresh legs. Um, you know, that said, the, the Challenge Cups, uh, the club's got a very proud um, record in the Challenge Cup and something that gave us some, some you know, wonderful moments last year and, and in previous seasons. So you know, we're taking the competition very seriously and, and regardless of any, any guys that might come into the side, we're looking to um, you know, obviously win on the weekend and, and progress through the competition as, as best we can. Now, the big news yesterday was uh, off the field, but very much to help everybody 
in that position, the fans, players, management. So what's the what's the feeling? A tremendous excitement, first and foremost. Um, you know, excitement for the um, the announcement and the details behind the announcement, but but also enormous gratitude. You know, and, and I think. Um, to, to have this opportunity to, to be part of, of the redevelopment and, and to be part of the club during that time. It's such an exciting time in the, in the club's history for us and, and the rest of the community around us. And, uh, you know, there's um, we were briefed last Tuesday um, by... Um, you you didn't, didn't, didn't let it out. You didn't come and sort of give us a little whisper or anything. No, it was amazing, wasn't it, actually? It was the best-kept secret. Uh, you know, I can believe it myself. But, um, no, we were briefed last Tuesday and, and given, you know, um, first look at, at some of the uh, the artists' impressions of the stadium, the details that were going to go in behind it. And um, it was players and, and staff throughout the whole organisation. So, again, we were grateful for that, that sort of early heads-up and it gave us a chance to ask a few questions about it. Um, but it's terrifically exciting. In terms of high performance, you know, it'll be a set-up to to rival many others and um, you know as I said whether it's players or staff medical staff to be part of that and, and have a hand in, in that next chapter of the club moving forwards um, you know it, it's a little bit humbling and you know we're grateful to be part of it so so can't wait for um, for things to get going. Looks like we're heading to a 4G or a hybrid pitch so does that mean uh, a change of emphasis in defence does that change anything that that you're specifically in control of do you have to look for different things? Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm aware, the, the actual pitch service will certainly be relayed, but in terms of what it actually is, um, is still up for up for discussions. Um, and, and as I said, when it was presented to us, um, you know, that was something that, that the staff and the players will, will be able to provide feedback on. So that, that's to be confirmed. If they do go down the route of, um, you know, a hybrid pitch or something similar, um, you know, generally it obviously ups the tempo of games. I, I think certainly as a defensive team, when you do go away to grounds, um, you know, such as Cardiff um, and... Uh, uh, some of the others that we've played on in, in recent years, um, it does speed the game up. Um, you've, you've got to defend well, you've got to defend, defend fast play and attack. Um, but at the same time, that suits us. You know, we, we pride ourselves on our bounce and our speed to react to things and, and keeping a high tempo in defence in a similar way that we do to attack. So, um, you know, if it does go down the route, I think it's something that, that would suit this, this playing group and, and our style of play, um, you know, uh, really positively. But as I said, as far as we know, that's still to be, be confirmed. Jack, how is the feeling around the team after that good win on Friday night in Belfast? Uh, yeah, look, everyone's delighted. It was a kind of a strange enough one. Um, I think we'd maybe went there um, previous years and played, uh, would have had more possession and more of the ball and we would have lost without a bonus point. So I think the manner in how we won the match in terms of the kind of gritty performance, um, obviously when people looked at the game and they would have saw that when Ulster went down to 13 and then went back to 14, it was kind of, people thought it was a bit of a formality, but I think there was a lot of pressure put on their shoulders when they went down to that because it was nearly expected us to kind of see it out from there. And I think the manner in which we did was really positive. Did they did, did it get into your heads a little bit, the record? We, you know, where people think we don't usually win here. Was there a, just an added pressure, especially when they were at 13 and the place was almost in complete silence? Um, it wasn't something we spoke about during the week. I know Friendly said that last week, but genuinely we actually we didn't speak about it which um was probably a first other years we would have spoken about kind of the previous year and our previous trips up there and how close we would have been and um, i say the players themselves would have had a an inkling that we had been close over the years but it never was kind of spoken out in the group open and i think when i suppose we had the good start also kind of spoke about how their start was going to be important for them and then when we got the score early on it kind of just settled to settle us and then we could kind of go about our job so um, 
obviously it was great to break the history. We spoke about it after the match, but we didn't talk about it during the week. And it was good to celebrate with the fans as well. That seemed to be a, a good moment when you got the opportunity to mix a bit with them and have a chat with the, the travelling supporters. Yeah, look, um, they're the same faces that kind of go to all them games. and um, I know it's kind of cliche, but it is genuinely appreciated that they made an actual effort to go up on a Friday. They were probably working um, on the Friday to make an effort to go up to Belfast for a Friday night and then actually having to probably stay there on Friday night as well. Look, um, we, it is genuinely appreciated and it was just kind of for us to give a small bit back to them and to kind of talk to them after the game. It was, it was great to be able to share that with them. It's been a busy week here. We'll come to Bordeaux in a minute, but a big announcement yesterday about the uh, new stadium here, the new facilities for the players and stuff. Has that uh, caused a, a good, positive vibe? Uh, yeah, look, everyone's absolutely delighted. Um, kind of a few of the older lads are a bit iffy, wondering whether they'll get to playing or not, and then the younger lads are delighted. So, um, yeah, look, the we were kind of spoken to about it um, late last week, and... Um, it's just fantastic for Galway with the whole problems that we kind of have this facility that maybe people would think that it wouldn't be in this um, this side of the world. So um, it's really exciting and hopefully now we can uh, get to play in it. Well, we all hope that. Bordeaux on Saturday, uh, moving into Europe. It's a bit harder to, to analyse these sides and does that mean the game can often be a bit more on the hoof? There's, there's less known about them. Um, yeah, I suppose we kind of approach. We try to approach like we approach any match. Um, try to approach like we approach any match. Um, I suppose historically, um, when you look at the French teams in this tournament, they maybe don't. They kind of take fellas, rest fellas. But I think maybe the the way that Bordeaux have been going, they're kind of up that top half of the table, and they have. 27-ish, I think, international. So regardless of who they put out, they're going to be putting out international players. So I think it's... Like, they won't really like coming over here. So I think it's about that when they when they get over here that we put them in, make them uncomfortable um, and kind of look after look after a job. But you kind of see the, the type of calibre they have within their squad. It's maybe different to the games you would have had over the years against French teams when you'd be bringing the likes of Oyenai or Breve when they were coming here where they were in a relegation battle. This is kind of... I suppose a different kettle of fish because this team are actually high up in the in the pro four or the top fourteen. So that's going to it'll be a different challenge. Are any particular differences when you're playing a French side? Is there anything that particularly stands out different to what you come across in uh, pro fourteen? Uh, the fellas are just way way bigger. To be honest, um, they run. They try. They don't run, try to beat you with footwork. They try to run run over you. So um, that's been a big focus that we've spoke about um, today. Today was our defence day, and it was just about. I suppose being um, dominant in our in our tackles, and I think if we do that, it'll put us a long way to getting the getting the victory at the weekend. Because, as I said, they're just like they'll have internationals all over the park. So it's about what we can control, um, especially on defence. We would like to thank the official Connacht Rugby Supporters Club for supporting the podcast. For the most detailed and informative travel news for away matches check out the Supporters Club website at conaclan.com. Membership is only €10 Euro and includes a member's gift, exclusive merchandise and much more. Go to conaclan.com for all your supporting needs. Well, obviously, both of them were talking about the big announcement yesterday of the new facilities here, the new, basically the new sports ground, the, the new stands, the new training facilities. And they talked about the match and last week in Ulster. 
We'll be having a special podcast later in the week to deal exclusively with the stadium issue. But on the subject of Bordeaux, they both seem uh, quite content and confident that they're ready to go again in Europe on Saturday. Yeah, I think they're hoping to capitalise on a feel-good factor, which is certainly spread around the sports ground, particularly after that win over Ulster. And also, obviously, because of the um, release of the news that that the stadium is, is now going to be built and that there are plans afoot. So it's a really good, a feel-good week for Connacht Rugby and everyone around the place, particularly after that one in Ulster, are really, you know, according to... The management are buzzing, and and with good and with good reason. I mean, it's a perfect time to get possibly once in one sense, it's a perfect time to get Bordeaux when they are in such good form. Bordeaux aren't going to be an easy team, you know, to overcome. But at home and after these and this announcement and after the win, you know, there is certainly a, um, you know a good momentum within the side. As indications that they're going to have to make a few changes, there are a few injuries around, and it's probably time for rotations anyway. But um, they, that doesn't seem to phase them, and I think I think they're really looking forward to this. Yeah, I think there obviously there will be a, f- a few a few changes, and a few people would probably need to be rested because they have had quite a heavy schedule lately. But I think that's an opportunity. I think remember that with the with the Eagles dovetailing throughout these these last this last month that they've had a really good opportunity to actually keep some of the squad members in competitive action and I think that's a real that's a real bonus and a real plus so I think you might see some of those possibly coming in to the Connet setup this weekend for the match and it's it is that strength and depth that you know people talk about you have to have faith in your squad and you have to play them at certain times otherwise you know there is no point in in having a squad I do believe that the Celtic Cup has been a real boost for these those players and who are the squad players. And also attached to the Ulster review is some audio we recorded on Friday night with Richard Mulligan of the newsletter, a regular contributor to our podcast. Uh, so here's what he had to say about, I think, a rather shocking result as far as Ulster were concerned. You were wondering if we were going to play your 15-point prediction on loop. We're not going to, because you have, have you here, and I can just say it. You predicted Ulster to win by 15. I did, and uh, I've got to say, f- hi, first of all, to all my good friends down in Connacht, congratulations. I was there a couple of years ago when you won the Pro 12, and I was delighted for you then. I was there. I remember that in the car park. Um, but look, fair play. You just came out of the blocks, 14 points up. Ulster never really recovered from that. The red card, you couldn't argue with the decision, and... Uh, there was no way back. What I was concerned about was that you weren't going to kick another point or two and get yourselves two scores ahead because Ulster could maybe have come back. But oh, yes. it would have been very undeserved, I think, tonight. Um, I think Andy Friend got everything spot on. So you could, if it was just any other fixture, we might be kind of a little bit, my God, how do we not win that more comfortably? I think there was a way to history on Connacht in that second half. And I think they won the game in the early stages of the first half. A wonderful try, first of all, and then the scrum. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a wee bit of a question mark over that first try, but look, I mean, we've seen some of those given, we've seen some of them chalked off. Yeah. And, but at the end of that, you just came out, you just, got, you, just, you just got two early tries. We kind of thought, when we saw the way Ulster came out, we kind of thought, you know what, two minutes here, we're doing okay. Oh, Kieran Marmion's gone off, right? Things are looking a wee bit up here. There's no hangover from last week. And then bang, and then bang. And you kind of went, oh dear, this is going south. And look, there were a whole lot of ifs and buts. I mean, the two tries that Ulster had disallowed, they, they were both offside, so we have no arguments there either. Your boys 
could have maybe put it away a wee bit quicker. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping, but you're right. I think there was that extra pressure on the yeah. bit of nervy. Look, we have never won here before, and there's a chance we might do it now. But oh, uh, <laughs> can we? <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> there was a couple of scrums. Like there was one scrum where referee said use it, and and it was almost like Connacht had never planned to have to use it. What do we do now? So there was a certain element of just trying to play it as safely as possible, and we were wondering why they didn't kick a bit more as well. And then yeah, just like you did against the Cheetahs, you got one last look in to maybe get a, an equalising drive. Yeah, we were actually kind of more in hope than anything else. Oh look, there's 15 seconds left to the 80 here. Um, there's seven points to get a draw. Could this possibly happen again? but I think it would have been an injustice to you guys to be fair um, you deserved that tonight um, your pack your pack surprised me I wasn't expecting your pack to be as good as they were yeah I think we probably feel certainly on occasions Buckley and Beanham are a little bit underrated uh, certainly one or two of the guys have got in ahead of them to the Irish squad at times we wondered but they're certainly they're making a big case now aren't they, they I think they've put their hands up um, and no better time to do it with um, almost World Cup year I mean I know it's, it's not World Cup to October next year but we are in a World Cup year and I think this is a good time to do it there's opportunities coming up in November and uh, look why, should, why not have a couple more Connacht guys in there why didn't you stop him when he was predicting a 15 point win William you could have just eased him back there told him about our four a man. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> well, a man's got to make a statement and he's got to live or die by it. And, you know. Uh, One of Connick's biggest supporters, though, I have to stress, you were you were very happy after that uh, Pro 12 final. Uh, we met you in the car going out. You had a savage day like everyone did when we were just coming to the end of work. You, like, you, like all of Ireland were proud of that Connick team but we haven't been there for so long since. I know, it's, it's never moved on. I suppose it's a bit like Ulster to a certain degree. Mm. You think back to 2012 and Ulster have been nowhere really since. Yeah, okay, you yeah. know, and, and okay, you expect Ulster to be there and you didn't think maybe expect Connacht. I mean, I, I remember saying that year that there's a fair chance Connacht will do something big this year because it's World Cup year. Yeah. And we're looking at next year as well with this team too. Yeah, and you've had a, and, I mean, if you look at the start of the fixtures this season, you've had a, have had a really tough run. You, mean, can, you couldn't ask for a harder start to any season. All the teams have got better, there's no doubt about that, but you couldn't have asked for a harder run to come into a season. And, you know, this is bound to augur well for you guys. Um, What's the mean for Ulster? Right now, the last two weeks have been a horrible set of interval. It's been absolutely, I think we were still shell-shocked from last week. I mean, I didn't expect them to win last week, to be honest. I thought they would go down, and if they kept it to 20 points, they would have been doing well. But I didn't expect to see a record score against them. And now they'll suffer back-to-back defeats mm. in the derbies. It's, it's not, and again, I'm not putting anything down on Connacht, but Connacht have come to Belfast and they've won. Leicester Tigers are probably looking across the shock at the moment, going, you know what? We could get a couple of four or even five points in the bank for the start of the European Cup. Now, they haven't been playing well, I suppose, but Ulster now, I don't know what the mental state's going to be like. And I suppose the only thing tonight was, if you look at last week, they were completely pulverised. Tonight, it was a close game. There were a few ifs, buts and whens that can happen in a game, a couple of decisions here and there. So it wasn't as if they were put... They were put away in clinical fashion. They could have actually won that game at one point if, if, if Connacht hadn't maybe taken the penalty when they did. So that's the positive you can take from it. It's a new competition and it's Europe. And I mean, everybody gets up for Europe. And if also you get a couple more players maybe back into the mix, hopefully they'll be better. All right. Thanks a million, Richard. I appreciate this. Before you go, uh, yeah, we wish you luck. And will you be over to us at Christmas? Uh, I don't think I will be. Oh, that's a pity. Sadly. So we have to I have those never, going. I have to try and get back for the new year. I might never get back if I met <laughs> you boys. And- <laughs>
<laughs> well, listen, great reception from the uh, Ulster fans, the iconic fans down below us when they were celebrating. There were loads of Ulster fans congratulating them. I know you always give us a great welcome. We were always going to win at some stage, weren't we? You were. It's going to happen one day. It's good to actually have the monkey off the back. And again, I, I mean, I'm delighted that it that it has happened and that we can, we can re, reconvene next season. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole of Ulster, the fan base, the media and uh, the team were, they were surprised. They expected to win that game, Lindley, didn't they? I think, well, history tells you that they would have and, you know, they could have. And obviously, I mean, when you've got 58 years never having lost to, to Connacht, there is a certain expectation that, that they're just going to do it again, that they have the staff, that they have the quality of players to do it again. But unfortunately, they hadn't possibly taken their eye off Connacht and the improvements Connor have been making um, since the start of the season, and in terms of their mental grow, which is hard probably for them to understand or fathom, but this growing mental uh, stability of the team, this and and you know that they're a stronger Connor or a stronger. They're very um, positive about everything this season, and I think that's something that. And remember, that I have to say that you also have to look at the Connor team. And they're all getting much older. People say that they're a young team. I don't think they're that young. I think they're reasonably well experienced. This was the first time, remember, that Connacht actually had more players who had played for Ireland than Ulster did. Now, they didn't have as many caps because you had someone like Rory Best with 111 caps. But it was the very first time. And I think that's, I think that's quite key to, to that this particular team or, and, that, and that particular victory because there's a growing number of players within Connacht who have greater experience and they've got greater mental strength and they know how to get a job done now and that is that is a work in progress and yes they didn't play particularly well at times but I think that that growing mental strength is quite valuable. Last weekend in the Pro 14 when Connacht were beating Ulster 22-15 in Belfast on Friday night Glasgow 36 Zebra 8 and Edinburgh 37, Cheetahs 21. On Saturday, we saw some more derby games in Wales this time. Scarlets 20, Ospreys 17, Dragons 15, Blues 23. In the other Irish inter-provincial match, Leinster 30, Munster 22. And finally, later on Saturday, Benetton 28, Kings 5. That leaves Conference A with Glasgow on top with uh, five wins out of six. The Ospreys... Four wins out of six. The Blues, Munster and Connacht, all on 50%, 3-3 records. Zebra, two wins, four losses. And the Cheetahs holding up the bottom with no wins out of six and only one draw. And the Conference B table has Leinster on top with five wins out of six. Scarlet's in second with four. Benetton, Edinburgh uh, on 50%, 3-3 records. Ulster a little bit further down with three wins, one draw, two losses. The Dragons are two wins out of six, and the Kings holding up the bottom with one win out of six. Connacht are in Pool 3 of the European Challenge Cup. As we said, they're in with Bordeaux and Sale and Perpignan. Just looking at their current form, Sale had a very important win at the weekend, a bottom-of-the-table clash. They beat Newcastle 20 points to seven at home. They're now second from bottom in the English Premiership. Two wins out of six games with four losses. Pau beat Perpignan 12-9. Perpignan getting closer and closer, but they still haven't won a game. They're played seven, lost seven, and with three bonus points. Slightly adrift at the bottom. 
and you would feel that survival in the top 14 is really their only aim this season. And Grenoble 28, Bordeaux 25. That was a bit of a double whammy result because it got Grenoble a bit further up the table away from Perpignan and it also maybe slowed Bordeaux down a little bit in their tracks. Bordeaux's record now played seven, won three, lost three and drawn one. They're in eighth. They're in a comfortable enough position that might encourage them to bring a slightly stronger side here. We talk a lot about these French teams and the... It, it, and we've watched a lot of these games, and it really does seem to depend on the mood they're in, whether they're up for it, and who, who they pick. You, you, you can see some very strange efforts. Generally, they have a good go at home, but even there, they can, they can be a bit underwhelming at times. Yeah, I think the French, as far as the French are concerned, the top 14 is, is their competition, and that's the one that they, that they put most of their efforts into and it depends really on where they sit in that competition because when it comes to the top French sides they will go for Europe but the the sides at the bottom who are struggling in the top 14 to maintain that their status there they're the ones who don't put as much significance into the European competition and they sometimes in fact use the European competition as a as an opportunity to rest their players from top 14 so in this particular case, Bordeaux are coming over here in good form. And they usually will always go for that very... I tend to think they always travel usually with a strong side for the first match to see how they get on. And if they do have a couple of losses en route, then they'll see you'll see changes in their squad. They usually t- tend to take that attitude towards it because, you know, last year we did see a number of French sides who did qualify and they did put in a, a good effort last year. So I don't think Bordeaux will be that different, except I do think that like all French sides, they will they put a huge emphasis on their pro for, their top 14 competition. Yeah, and it'll be very interesting to see how Sale and Perpignan go on Friday night. Uh, that's the only Challenge Cup game that evening. And both sides really struggling in their respective leagues. It'll be fascinating to see who they pick. And it'll be... That, that, I, that result I couldn't call because I don't know. On paper, Sale would win that because they would be stronger. But they might send a weak side. Perpignan might pick a weak side. So that'll be interesting to see. We'll know that result before Connacht play on uh, Saturday. The other Irish teams in action at the weekend, of course, are all in the Heineken Champions Cup. Friday night, Pool 1, Leinster and Wasps at a quarter to eight. That's the only Champions Cup game on Friday. And then on Saturday, Pool 2, Exeter, unbeaten this season, taking on Munster, quarter past three. That's going to be a tough game. It's running in conjunction with the match here. And then in Pool 4, Ulster against Leicester at half five at Ravenhill. There's real pressure on there as well. There's a big pressure and a big requirement, I think, for Ulster to try to do something in Europe. But they look in a little bit of bother to me. They seem to have a lot of injury problems and they're not really sure of their system. So we'll be keeping an eye on all those ones. But the main game at the weekend for us is Connacht against Bordeaux, kicking off at three o'clock on Saturday. There'll be live coverage on Galway Bay FM from 10 to 3 on the stream and from 3 o'clock on FM Rob Murphy and Joe Healy will be telling you the story. Also on Friday evening, immediately after the coverage ends on BT Sport, a documentary called Shoulder to Shoulder will be on at 10pm on BT Sports 2. This is produced by Craig Doyle and 
features Brian O'Driscoll as the presenter. It takes a look at how Irish rugby dealt with the troubles in Northern Ireland and how sides were brought together, Irish sides in particular, with players from different religious and political backgrounds to play under the Green of Ireland. And at the European launch in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, I caught up with executive producer Craig Doyle, and this is what he told me about how this was put together. Craig, the documentary Shoulder to Shoulder is due to be shown on, on the 12th of October. Uh, what, what drove you to, to produce this? The genesis of it is, a couple of years ago, um, a former captain, Irish captain, told me about how some of the players from Northern Ireland obviously can't sing Aaron Devine here in Lansdowne Road for fear of repercussions, but they sang it to him in the team room before a match. And I found that really moving. I thought it really stayed with me, and I thought we should tell that story somehow. And I guess it just took a long time. I, I was going to do it with that player, and then Brian and I have worked together for the last four years, and we've started a little production company together. And We spoke about it on a delayed flight somewhere, and... Uh, Let's do it. Let's let's make this let's make this documentary. Let's tell this story. And we knew. I remember saying to him, "It's you know we're gonna you're gonna have to go up to an orange parade. You're gonna have to delve in deep." And he was absolutely up for it. And he's done a, an absolutely cracking job on it. Was it difficult to get people, maybe more in the north, to actually talk about those times and, and how it affected them? The difficulty was getting the trust of people that we're going to tell this story properly. And when you've got the likes of Nigel Carr, whose career was ended due to a bomb, David Irwin, who thought that two of his teammates had died beside him in a, in a bomb blast, when you've got uh, Trevor Ringland, who's experienced you know, all the things that went with his father being in, in the REC and, and playing for Ireland, when you, when, when you, these guys, they need to trust that you're going to tell the story properly. But once we got one or two of them, they all realised this is going to be OK. You know? So Brian McCall talking to us, Donald Lenehan, talking about his father and his, Republican, his father's Republican past, his grandfather's Republican past, and playing for Ireland. So it was, I think once it grew, once the world got out, that they were all talking, you know, they all spoke to us. So really no problem at all. And I, I guess having Brian there gives a great credibility, and uh, they trust him as well. So, no, in the end, they were all, they were all brilliant. And is it a story for the, for the Irish market, or will people overseas also gain a bit, of, bit more understanding? We actually made it with um, more just than Ireland in mind, and, and I think maybe some Irish people will find some of the storytelling quite simplified and pedestrian because it's a very difficult story to tell the, the period of the Troubles. And so we tell it, um, we, we pick our way through it step by step because we want the world to see this story because it's an, an unbelievable thing that this team have done. When you think what was happening, particularly in the 70s, and early 70s, on, the, on this island, yet not only the players but the fans from different communities were coming together to support them and, and we just felt we just have to make sure that this can be consumed by everybody um, so I think everybody will get something from it you know from my perspective my father's Welsh I was born in Northern Ireland and I remember his anger he wrote to the Welsh Rugby Union in 1972 when they didn't come here because he felt that they'd let people down so then, of course, England came in 73. That must be a central part of this, because I think that, that has cemented the relationship between Irish and English rugby to this day. I think it not only cemented the relationship between rugby, but between the two countries. And 
John Pullen's famous line in the in the in the speech after after the game in the team dinner when he said, "We mightn't be any good, but at least we came." And uh, Dave Duckham recounts that story in the documentary and is actually drawn to tears in it. He, he gets really upset because it was an incredible thing for them. They walked out in this pitch. This was England, the old rugby enemy, and they walked out ahead of the Irish team and got a standing ovation. In fact, the Irish team stayed in the tunnel for a few minutes to let them have that moment. This is unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff. Meanwhile, chaos elsewhere. But it just proved that actually, you know, if you find a common thing, a common love, as rugby was for all those guys, and you can get on, you know. Um, I think there's a life lesson in that team, you know. It's on on Friday, October the 12th on BT Sports 2. I'm looking forward to it and uh, I think it'll be absolutely excellent. Thanks for talking to us, Craig. Nice talking to you. I'm looking forward to this documentary. I, I would also have to say that as well as Irish players playing together in that context, uh, the likes of Connacht, Munster, Leinster in rugby, hockey, cricket, GAA, all sports kept going through those very difficult times and fixtures were fulfilled they weren't cancelled sides went up regularly from from connacht to play in all sorts of sports and from all over ireland but it'll be very interesting to see what we learn from this documentary it's on bt sport 2 on friday night at 10 o'clock and hopefully will get shown at some stage on terrestrial television in ireland i think they're working on that well, that's it from this midweek podcast. European rugby on offer for the next two weekends. And after Bordeaux on Saturday, the following Saturday, we connect her on the road. We're off to Salford for the match against Sale. And we'll have the story of that game. And we'll be previewing it in next week's midweek podcast. So thank you very much for joining me, Lindley. I'm delighted to be here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.